today we have with us Bree Kelly. Bree is studying quite a lot of things. We're going to talk to Bree about um, children and more specifically today about children with autism and you know maybe what that looks like. So I'll throw that over to you, Bree. So welcome. And maybe you can tell us what you're studying because I just can't remember it. <laughs> Well, thanks, Beth, for firstly, thank you for having me to talk with you guys today. This is really exciting. Um, yeah, as you can hear, I'm from England. I've been over here for a couple of years in Australia now. And I was originally on a work holiday visa, but now, as you said, I'm studying. I'm on a student visa. And I'm actually studying towards a master's in special needs teaching. Um, currently, I'm doing a specific graduate certificate course, which is on autism, because that's related to my background and what I'm most interested in. But the long-term goal is a master's in special needs. Wow. And you've worked with children before as well. So we're not, it's not just studying, you know, you've worked with children with special needs and yeah, with children for a long time as well. So yeah, that's really exciting. I um, I originally actually trained as a primary school teacher and then ended up sort of falling into falling into this role at a specialist school with autism and just thought wow this is a really interesting job I really enjoyed it so when I came over here to Australia I was just working as an au pair working nanny um, but over time I really wanted to get back into that special needs learning differences field so I guess that's what's inspired the, the new studying. So can you tell us with with autism because I know autism can be something that can be quite difficult to diagnose and I know you can't give a diagnosis so we're not doing that sort of thing today but in terms of what is it that you look for and, and I know that it's very different in boys and girls from what I understand that's a really big question um <laughs> Okay, let me go. No, I'm a waffler, so a time limit's good. Um, <laughs> I guess, I guess, to answer first, you have to think like, what is autism? I guess, like a textbook clinical definition, obviously, in order to get a diagnosis, and that is autism is a neurodevelopmental disorder, and people with autism to get that diagnosis, they need to have difficulties with social communication social interaction um, and then some level of what's called repeated restricted interest that's where you might see instead of a child playing typically with their toys they might be lining toys up or they might have a real sole interest only in playing for example with their trains i am making sweeping generalizations here it's really really important for me to say this actually i should have started with this i'm not an expert in autism i don't have autism myself um the people who are experts on autism are those individuals themselves and their families and autism it can create such a diverse range of experiences for people with a diagnosis that Today, I can only make some real generalizations. I can't sort of specifically say this is what to look for because within that. Can I, can I just jump in there? So, one of the reasons that we wanted to chat to you, so we know that you know, you're not an expert in this field, but we know and we know that you can't make a diagnosis. But what we do know is that there's a lot of parents and a lot of parents in our audience that struggle, particularly with young children, um, to the point where they say things like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going on here, you know, I don't know if they've got ADHD, I don't know if they've got autism, or they, they might be so young that when you speak to a GP, the GP says to them, you know, look, they're too young to diagnose. And it's just more having a conversation about little bits and pieces of some autism traits that parents may be able to look out for mm -hmm. that you're familiar with. Sure. And it doesn't mean, you know, just because your child lines up trains and only plays with trains that they're autistic. But it's just, yeah, it's just 
to help our audience that if they are struggling, you know, these little things might be something that point them in the right direction. So we, we understand that and you don't have a time frame either. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I would say is that you guys, I don't have children, but I've worked with them for a long time. And it can be really difficult if they're your first child or if you haven't worked with children much before, it can be kind of hard to un, like for you to recognize, is this normal, typical behavior or not? Because you could have a child that could get to four or five years old and you think, yeah, they're just like other kids. Maybe they're a little bit quirky or they're a little bit, you know, what we consider hyperactive, high energy. And it's not that they make a school that you start to go or you see them around other children. You start to say, oh, hey, they're a bit differently. So some of the stereotypical, the generalized things that people talk about are difficulties with eye contact, the, the difficulties with face skills. So finding it difficult to go up and initiate playing with a, another child or another adult or only wanting to play with themselves, you know, see if their own little world is commonly described. You might have a child whose language is very delayed, but then you could also have a child who's using really overt language. Um, you might also have a child who is using something called echolalia, where they're talking almost in a scripted fashion, so you might hear them repeating a lot of things off their favorite shows. Um, so, for example, Disney's a really common one. They might, instead of saying, oh, I had a fun day today, mummy, they might say, wow, what a wonderful day to be alive, off of a specific Disney movie. Um, <laughs> to quote a little boy that I used to look up with autism, he used to say this all the time, what a wonderful day to be alive, off of one of his favorite Disney movies. So, looking at how they interact with their peers and other adults. We're looking at sensory differences. This can be really common in kids with autism. Not all children, as we say, but being really oversensitive to sounds or lights, um, but also could be really undersensitive and they're seeking sensory input. So then stereotypically in children that um, have autism, you might see um, spinning, running and crashing into things. Sometimes you might see hand flapping, you know, uh, twiddling fingers in front of their face. This could be a way to get sensory input because their body's not um, processing information in the typical way. You might find for their ears a lot, very sensitive to sounds, or there might be certain fabrics that bother them. Um, they may also have difficulties with food. Um, I've got a lot of parents who say, oh, you know, my kids are really picky eater, built for a battle, and it later turns out they have autism or sensory processing difficulties. So again, these are just sort of really common generalizations, but a lot of the children I've met, these have been letter parents getting the diagnosis in the first place or getting an assessment. Difficulties interacting with their peers, difficulties with sensory input. And another really common one is meltdowns when a new task or something new is introduced or when a familiar routine is changed. So, for example, if it's always mummy that drives them to school or preschool or daycare, and then one day daddy has to drive them and they have a huge screaming tantrum meltdown and the parents are going, you love daddy. Daddy, like, yeah, you love daddy. Exactly. Or yeah. it's, um, you know, they suddenly go through a phase of, they want their tops and bottoms to be matching. So it has to be a pink top and pink bottoms, red top, red, pink top, blue bottoms, for example. And, or they have a specific item of clothing that they only want to wear. 
And this is really hard because kids without autism do this stuff as well. So it can be really difficult to say, is this typically developing phase or is this a neurological difference that's going to be a long-term condition? And I guess as a parent, you have to think, how greatly is this affecting my child's life? Their ability to interact with their peers, their ability to be happy and healthy, and how greatly is this affecting the parents and the rest of the family? Because if a parent's feeling they're just not coping for any reason, that's a reason to go and see your GP and ask for some help. But like, there's no shame in saying, we're finding things really difficult right now. We need an assessment. We need some help, please. Yeah, wow. I want to talk to you about autism in girls, but just when you're talking generally, when you're studying this, do you ever actually think, yeah, look, I wonder if I've got autism as well? <laughs> Yeah, just some of the things that you describe, and it's like I wonder if I know this is a sweeping generalisation. I was like, and I'm looking at your other things. I know. Yeah, I just you know, like um, you're talking about lining things up. You know, in in the pantry, I line everything up. In the in the laundry cupboard, I line everything up. But I only do it with certain things, and it's like I wonder if um, as adults or as humans generally, we all have autistic traits have you got any thought on that i know that that's a left field question do we all have i'm gonna gonna need a whole series guys seriously like one (laughs) one one podcast isn't gonna be enough you have to bring me back 10 times okay let me just think for a second how best to summarize this there is this common idea of everybody's on the spectrum somewhere and i kind of agree with that and i also kind of think that can be that can disregard people that actually do have autism and the difficulties they face so it's, it's really hard to get my head around. Um, okay, the lining up thing, as I said, that's a sweeping generalization. It's really common to see in experienced children with autism. The theory behind that, from what I understand, is it can be a way to get sense of order, get some control, predictability, routine. There's a lot of reasons why people like to line things up. I like to line things up because it looks pretty. Um, I think it's just such a But then I also have friends you have diagnosed, for example, OCD, and they do it because how to do that. And if they don't have things lined up, they can't function. It affects their day-to-day function. So I think, again, it kind of comes back to asking yourself these, um, the diagnostic criteria, difficulties with social interaction, difficulties with communication. You know, that could be from being completely non-speaking, having no ability to speak verbally, all the way up to someone that has, you know, can speak really eloquently, but doesn't necessarily have what we'd call like a filter. They might say things, the first thing that puts in head. Um, they might not necessarily understand what we consider social norms. It just depends on the person's individual experience. Sorry, I'm probably not giving a very helpful answer here. <laughs> I probably didn't um, ask a helpful question either. I think um, this is kind of the thing that's happening at the moment too, is that, oh, I'm going to do this again, on TikTok, a lot of people So are this like, is very reliable. I just yes. found out that I'm autistic and I didn't, I've lived my whole life and I didn't even know. And my question is, what's the benefits of knowing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay. obviously, like, there's so that level. Like labeling, what's the benefit? Yeah, like, I know labeling. that there's a layer of, people who are actually like you know are 100% on the spectrum but then like that that area that's kind of on the spectrum like what are the benefits okay would you mind if i just give like really brief kind of um, 
In terms of being a spectrum disorder, and then I can I can probably answer your question a bit better and a little bit. Yes, yes please. Okay. The definition of autism. The name of it is autism spectrum disorder. And that word in the middle spectrum is really important because it reflects the fact that some people, their experience of autism can be really disabling. So the children that I looked after back in England, they were non-speaking, they needed 24-hour care. They had to live in a residential provision because they could no longer live at home because their, their needs, their support requirements were so severe. And their parents would view their autism as a disability. They would view that as something where they need funding for, they need therapy intervention, they need round-clock care to be happy and healthy individuals. But then on the spectrum, you've also got individuals who have autism, who don't have an intellectual disability, who don't really have a language impairment. Their difficulties more to do with their sensory needs or to do with um, understanding some social rules. If we consider this idea of the general population, the majority, the, you know, the neuromajority of people, their brains work a certain way. And anyone whose brains work differently, whether that's um, in a way that causes them problems or in a way that brings them great strengths, they're considered as like different that neuromajority. Does that make sense? Okay. So, the reason I think the label, the diagnosis is helpful because for people who are severely disabled by their autism, um, they need that label to be able to get assessed, you know, to offer assessment, to be able to get support and services. For people who've kind of gone through life who, you know, they don't appear on the surface to have great difficulties, that label can still be really useful for finding a like-minded community. Because there's a lot of adults now getting a diagnosis, especially women, which we'll talk about in a minute, who they're getting a diagnosis now and they're going, huh, okay, that's why I've always felt like I didn't fit in like my friends did, or, oh, that's why I've always struggled, um, you know, with that with that side of things. For some people with autism, they experience their emotions um, much, much in a bigger way than people who aren't autistic, which, um, it's interesting because there's a stereotype that people with autism lack emotion, they lack empathy, and actually these individuals with autism are coming out and saying the opposite is true. So I think the label can be helpful just in understanding themselves, maybe, um, understanding there's nothing wrong or broken with them, it's just their brain Their brain has a difference, means they process information a bit differently, and that's not a negative thing for those individuals. Um, yeah, and just finding other people who have that same label. Everyone wants to feel included and accepted. And if you've gone through life thinking, oh, you know, I'm different, and then you get given a reason behind that, maybe that makes you to have a bit more compassion with yourself. Mm, and it might be good to find like-minded people like yourself, where, yeah, you felt you, you don't fit in. And, yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful. And also, Drew, I think for younger children, it would be helpful to know if they are... You know they do need extra ways to learn you know what i mean like what strategies to do yeah yeah because yeah. like obviously exactly. we're all with we, school and stuff like it's very generalized yeah. where if your kid needs further attention then it's you know you can give that to them but yeah on exactly. tiktok true but um a lot of the people who are saying that they're they've just found out that they're autistic are women i haven't mm. seen any of this interesting but it's always like um you know about like mid-20s 
So actually autism in girls, um, hopefully if my if my tutors are watching it, hi Margaret and Nada. And we've just done um, a lot of work on autism in girls. And this is the part that's kind of blown my mind and the bit I'm most excited to talk to you guys about. So give a sort of brief context to this. When autism was first properly identified um, by sort of two main clinicians, Leo Kanner and Hans Asperger, kids they were identifying it in were mostly boys. So when they sort of wrote this definition of autism, they were basing it on what they saw in boys. So then as time went on and autism was studied, a lot of girls were disregarded from the studies because considered as a male condition. And of course then it's of course like everything. <laughs> and it comes of it's then become a cycle where the criteria created around the male presentation of autism so girls largely didn't meet this criteria so less research was done on girls you see how it sort of became a cycle so yeah. then in present day we've got this diagnostic criteria this knowledge of understanding which is still limited because of how diversely autism affects everybody um, but it is still largely focused on boys and then all of that you know the diagnostic rate is about four boys to every one girl. So people have this perception in their mind of, oh, autism, that's a boy thing. So they might have a girl that's showing some kind of stereotypical autistic behavior, but they disregard it as autism because, oh, that's a girl, right? Then, so, so far we've got, you know, the diagnostic criteria is related to boys. People have this misconception it only affects boys. But then also girls, they've done all these studies on kids and it's so interesting. Girls naturally have better social skills than boys. Again, generalizing here. So if you compare boys and girls with autism, boys and girls without autism, and if you put them in a hierarchy, best social skills typically are girls without autism. The ones with the poorer social skills are boys with autism. But then in the middle, you've got girls with autism and boys without autism kind of on par. So if you're comparing all these kids, your boys with autism are gonna really stand out as their social skills are, you know, they're struggling. Whereas the girls, you're just gonna compare them to other kids their age, to the neurotypical, the you know, not autistic boys, and you're gonna go, oh, there's, there's nothing standing out as different. And Do you think too, because the, the girls have I know we're stereotyping, but sort of better social skills, then they're able to fake it as well. Exactly. That's exactly my next point. was going to be there's this concept of masking or mimicking, where and I don't understand the science behind it. This is just going on the research I've done and talking to a lot of women on the spectrum. Um, there's this concept of masking where girls will typically look around what other kids are doing and will mimic the behaviors that trait and that is socially accepted whereas boys don't appear to be as kind of hot on those social skills what's going on around them um so yeah girls definitely better at, better at masking better at covering up and also those uh, again generalizing here but girls with autism they're more likely to go introverted behaviors and go into themselves become more anxious whereas boys their behaviors can typically seem more disruptive so if you're a teacher or a parent, you've got a boy and a girl both with autism, 
you're more likely to refer the kids that be disruptive, that um, struggling with their behaviours, and the kid that's coming across as a bit shy, right? So actually, this is a shy, anxious daughter that masks and copies. That's really hard to diagnose. Um, and also, I mentioned right back at the beginning of the chat, one of the diagnostic criteria for autism is about having these called restricted repetitive interests. This is where we have that stereotypical idea of kids with autism are like really into science and trains. And with boys, typically their interests seem less socially socially typical. So as an example, I used to look after a little boy who was five years old who had autism and he was obsessed with the bus timetables. So he would just read bus timetables over and over again. He would carry them with him everywhere. If he could have one in his hand, he would have a meltdown. That was his special interest. If you compare that to a group of other five-year-old kids who were into Paw Patrol and I know Pokemon and stuff, that looked really different. But then if you've got a little girl who's five and their interests are more to do with Disney or drawing or a certain band, on the surface, that just looks typical, right? Like, yeah, what little girls aren't into drawing and one direction, you know, not down with the kids these days, is that what they're into? Um, <laughs> the difference is that little girl, she might appear to be really into one direction, but she knows like, she knows the high school, the band member, you know, their date of birth, she knows the schools they went into, she knows all these complex details. It's not that she's got that special interest because she just kind of likes the music and her friends are into it. It's because she has this sole focus, the details of that band. So, interest appear more acceptable in girls so again they get missed again huge sweep of generalizations happening here i don't want any of your viewers to be sat there going oh that doesn't have my kids so i'm not going to get them assessed and if you have any questions or concerns please go and get an assessment don't just go based on what i'm saying or on what you've seen on tv because as we say as autism it's so diverse. It affects everyone so differently. Um, I think it's, what you're saying is really important. And I, I know that you're stereotyping and, you know, you're studying, you're learning, you're working towards your master's and, you know, we've sort of been over that. So we know that you're not giving, you know, a diagnosis. <laughs> if, um, if people do need help or they do think that maybe their child might be, you know, fully on the spectrum, partial on the spectrum, any of those things, what, what do you do for help? You know, do you go to a GP and get an assessment or what do you do? And how do the assessments work? Yeah. Okay, that's a really good question. Another okay, simple so, question. <laughs> uh, more simple than the other ones, I can kind of answer this one. Okay, so firstly, um, and this is really easy for me to say, I think the first point is not to catastrophize. Don't go, try not to go into panic mode and think, oh my God, what if my kid has autism? Um, and try to view it as autism, yes, as we said, can be, you know, very disabling, but also it can provide these amazing strengths and talents. So without autism we wouldn't have much of the innovation that we have today so firstly don't panic and don't don't look at it as this it's not a terminal illness it's not this horrific disease so try firstly to be level-headed about it and say okay my kid might have autism what support do we need to get so if you do have any concerns or you're just thinking maybe my child needs a bit more more support then definitely go to your gp first um, they should refer you to a paediatrician. I don't know if you can just go straight to a paediatrician without the referral. Um, they can do an assessment. They use a lot of assessment, different toolkits, there's questionnaires. They'll ask the parents about uh, childhood, um, whether these difficulties they're experiencing have been going on for a long time. They might 
tests such as they might test hearing um, to make sure that they're, for example, if you have a child whose speech isn't developing, typically it could be a hearing problem. Um, it could be hearing So they will rule out some other things first. Um, they will also probably want to, if your child's at school, they might want to have assessment from the teacher. Um, it can be really difficult as well because you can go to the GP, they can see a five minute snapshot of your child and say, oh, everything appears, appears normal to me, I don't see any issues here. And you're yeah. as a parent going, yeah, because my child's just sat there, they've given you eye contact, they've said good morning, they've, they've ticked all the typical social boxes of what the GP hasn't seen is the fact that the child hasn't slept through the night in the five years of life. They haven't, they only eat weekends, they pasta, they don't play with other children, you know, they're not seeing all those other concerns that you have. You can come to the GP, pediatrician, different assessments, or there are therapy centres, like in the town where we live, Christy, there's a couple of therapy centres around where they have psychologists, they can psychiatrists, do those initial assessments. Perfect. That's so cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for the information that you've given us today. And That's okay. I'm sorry. It's, it's been a little bit haphazard. Um, as I say, yeah, autism, um, it is a condition. I don't want to downplay the difficulties that people with autism have. But autism's also, it's not something to be feared. It's not something to be pitied. Um, it is something many people feel is to be celebrated. You know, without this neurodiversity, we wouldn't have many of the, in much of the innovation we have today, you know, Elon Musk, um, exactly. with autism, um, you know, people look back at many of the scientists who had a problem at the gate they were on the autism spectrum. Um, and yeah, you just have to get to know people as an individual, get to know how, what does autism mean to them and what support do they need? Because I've sat here and said, they, but it's where ear defenders, they might need help with their social skills, they might need help with this and that. But you have a person with autism and none of that applies. So yeah, final kind of parting, my parting point, I guess, is you know, if you meet one person, you met one person with autism, just get to know them as an individual. Try not to generalize and what their autism means to them. Yeah. I think that's a really good point to make in total for children is every single child is gonna be different. You know what I mean? So trying to make sure that every attention you're giving is going to be different. But also making sure that, you know, if your child may be on the spectrum, they're yeah, getting that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Again, well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, I'm going to hopefully send you guys a couple of links if you don't mind sharing, just in case people want to know where to get some support. And also, I'm going to hopefully share with you a couple of links of some really amazing women on the spectrum about like have autism and all the like great things that they've achieved so hopefully you guys don't mind sharing those yeah. for me Love that it. would be awesome all right see you bye <laughs>